Good morning, my dear friends and colleagues, and welcome back to Direct Support Podcast. Today's episode is amazing. Uh, we get to have a lot of fun talking to Jen Smart. She is the Developmental Disabilities Program Manager for an agency here in town. Uh, she is a wonderful person, really great to talk to, and uh, I'm just excited for you to hear all that she has to share about her work with adults with intellectual disabilities. So please enjoy this conversation with Jen Smart. Hello, Jen Smart, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Potterd, and thank you. <laughs> Potterdman, you just called me Potterdman. Potterdman? Yeah. Paul Erdman. <laughs> Is that my new nickname? Yes. Yeah, Pod. that's fine. I can be called Pod. Perdman, remember? Yeah. Perdman, yes, I remember that. I, I don't want to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Jen Smart, so you are currently a DDPM. That I am. Okay. Do you want to briefly just kind of give us your history in this industry, starting from where you started and then ending now where you're at? Yeah. So I um, got a part-time job at an agency when I was actually attending uh, grad school. So I was going to school um, to be a... um, The program was clinical mental health counselor, so a counselor. and I, I'm Canadian, so I needed a job that pertained to my degree in order to get a job because of the visa that I was on. Mm-hmm. And um, I applied for an agency in town, and they placed me at a um, one of the homes that was dual diagnosis, so mm-hmm. developmental disabilities and mental illness. Most of the clients out there had had both of those, um, and so that was kind of my workaround and. It was supposed to just be a, a job to get me through college, give me a little bit of extra money, and here we are, almost ten. It would yeah, almost ten years later. I'm wow. still in the field. So, yeah. um, I started working there, and then I took a brief uh, as a DSP. I started working there, and then I took a brief. I think it was like five months. Um, went to a different job at what I went to school for. I was doing mental health practitioner at another agency um, for more so of like the mental health and chemical dependency side. And then the agency that I was a DSP for kind of, I don't want to say poached me back, but that's mm-hmm. kind of what happened to be um, a residential coordinator. Um, and I did that for, what was it? Oh, nine months, I think. And then I did a little bit of work with some homeless youth for another nine months or so, and I was able to get a job as a DD program manager, which was has kind of always been my end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, just with having a family and needing some sort of normalcy in my life. Yeah, totally. I get so. that completely. Um, I have this uh, belief that once you're a DSP, you're always a DSP. Yeah. Do you feel the same? I and I often say too, if I could, if I could live off of a DSP salary, yeah, I would be a DSP. Like yep. that is one hundred percent what I would do. I just love that the daily contact with the clients and, yep. you know, helping them with those little little successes that they um, 
you and I probably wouldn't celebrate, but yeah. they do because that's that's exciting for them, and so right. you you allow them to do that. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. That's beautiful. So as a DDPM, what is, what exactly do you do? Um, I do. So I authorize the services that all of the individuals in the state of North Dakota receive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have to make sure that um, all of the agencies are doing what they're supposed to be doing and that the clients and their families are happy with the services that they're receiving. Um, and just kind of that, that check and balance and then kind of managing all of the services and programs that they receive. So okay. whether it's like the, um, the residential support, the vocational support, the behavior plans, the, you know, lifelong goals that they want to achieve and, you know, just making sure that the big picture um, is what the client and their family wants and it's sure. all the wheels are turning and yeah. So. That's awesome. So as a DDPM, do you work for the state or do you work for an agency? I work for the state. Yeah. I make sure that um, all of the, like the waiver that they're on, making sure all of the services are following what they need to follow. You know, I approve the plans, you know, the, the agencies write the plans. Um, and I ensure that plans have them what they need in them um, to kind of meet the like the CMS guidelines and, and what the, the, the feds want to see. Sure, right. Exactly. <laughs> so that they get paid. <laughs> yeah, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> in a very literal way so yeah so your current job as a ddpm is pretty disconnected from where you started as a dsp yes i would say very much so i've been wanting to do this podcast for years now and i finally decided to do it I don't know. I just, (laughs) I got nervous about it. I thought maybe I wouldn't be good at it. I don't know. It's just anxiety, I guess. But now that it's happening, it's all I can think about. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah. So, uh, Jen, if we can, I would really like to expand on your role as a DDPM because I think for me, historically as a DSP, as a trainer, and even as a manager, I didn't really have a full grasp as to what a DDPM does. Honestly, I don't think that anybody does have a full grasp on what a DDPM does until you are a DDPM. Sure, okay. (laughs) Um, Like as a DSP or an RC or, you know, whatever, QDDP, I always thought, I was like, man, that would be a sweet job. You just, you come to the meetings, you tell people what to do, (laughs) and then you approve the plan when it comes to you. And that is so not what happens. Um, Mm -hmm. You have people calling you nonstop. You have emails coming in nonstop. It seems like, and I don't want this to sound in a negative light, but it sounds like, it seems like people think the DDPMs have the answer to everything. Right. And they think they have the magic wand or the magic stick that can just be like, okay, we can make that go away or can, we can make um, this happen. And that's, it's most definitely not the case. Yeah. Um, so I can, I totally can understand why 
those who are not in the world don't don't fully grasp it <laughs> but i can promise you that we don't sit at our desks and twiddle our thumbs so <laughs> well i believe you <laughs> appreciate that <laughs> yeah. i know you and i know you're a hard worker so <laughs> yeah. that's good um another question about your role um kind of has to do with when state comes in mm-hmm. um to like look at an agency um title nine or title 19 title 19 19 okay so when title 19 comes in to look at an agency and you have um a person supported in that agency on your caseload Mm -hmm. are they going through your work at all or is this just the agency just the agency so it's it's kind of that's actually like a conversation that some of myself and my colleagues have had in the last few weeks was we wanted some more training on Title 19 and what was required and what wasn't because Mm -hmm. what's happening right now is we are having some agencies come to us and say we need to change this goal or we need to change this part of the plan because Title 19 doesn't like it. Sure. And so it's hard for us because it meets our standards Mm -hmm. and it meets what we need to do. So why is it not meeting what Title 19 is, or right. why why are those two entities not not communicating, yeah. so to speak? Um, and so we literally we have nothing to do with Title 19 mm-hmm. right now, from what I understand. Interesting. You think that because you work for the state and they work for the state that there would be communication? You would think. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> no. It doesn't work that no, way. No, not at all. So, and okay. it, it's been it's been a challenge because you know we have certain. It seems like. I don't know if they go into each provider focusing on something different, mm-hmm. but then when that provider comes to us, it's it's something different than what the other provider who just had Title 19 come in mm-hmm. and is asking us to change. So um, I'm hoping in the near future those, those two systems will talk a little bit more than they currently yeah. do. Um, but yeah, we don't have really anything to do with that. So Okay. And, and you handle the placement of, of people with disabilities into, like, an agency service, right? Yep, yep. So as a DDPM, um, if anybody in the state of North Dakota wants to go to any placement agency, provider, whatever you ha- uh, whatever they choose, they have to have a DDPM to make that referral. Sure, okay. Um, and so... Obviously, like it's you, you want it to be person centered and you want it to be where yep. the person wants to live. Yep. Um, but unfortunately, right now, it's just essentially if you can get somebody to accept them, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what you roll with right now because okay. um, everybody knows there's an, a staffing shortage everywhere, like yeah. fast food, hospitals, yep. DSP, like there's it's everywhere, and so. I have a a guy right now that I'm struggling with, like he's the sweetest guy, Mm -hmm. no behaviors, and we're looking for a residential residential habilitation placement, Mm -hmm. and it's not that nobody wants to serve him, it's that they literally don't have the bodies to staff him. Yeah. And so he would not be the guy that's going to beat somebody up every Mm -hmm. single shift. Right. It's just they can't find bodies to staff him, and so it's, it's hard because you know he would be a great asset to any agency. Yeah. But nobody can staff him, so. Hmm. Interesting. So, um, when Title 19 comes in and and uh, 
let's say an agency receives, you know, six tags at, at an ICF home, mm-hmm. is that going to affect your decision on placement in the future? Like, would you be less likely to send someone to that agency if they had those six tags? Or do you not even know how many tags um, an agency is getting from Title 19? We have no idea. And on top of that, we as the state aid uh, entity are to be um, kind of that neutral third party. Mm-hmm. So when we send out referrals, um, we are not to sway families, mm. um, clients, what have you, guardians in any way, shape, or form, which provider to go to, mm-hmm. um, because we're supposed to be that the neutral third party that just says, this is your options, this is what you... Bless you. These are, these are your options, this is what you have to choose from, um, and we often go on tours of those mm-hmm. places, and I think often the tours speak for themselves. Yeah. When it comes to agencies and how they run and mm-hmm. um, their bodies and so, um, but yeah, we're not supposed to sway them in any way, shape, or form. I imagine it's um, that that process of of showing uh, different agencies and options to people is similar to um, like a family trying to find a place for like an elderly relative to uh to move into like a nursing home setting yeah like you're gonna look at different nursing homes you're gonna you know decide what's in your budget and what's gonna be you know have the most amenities and mm-hmm. things like that so you're assisting family members guardians um if the person supported has a guardian mm-hmm. to find that same right fit within their budget, within, you know, the standard of care that they want. Yep. If it's, like, location-wise, too, like, if they are able to ride public transit or not, or, you know, being close to their place of employment or the day have facility or what have you. So, yeah, there's a, a number of things that go into it, but on the same token... A lot of it right now is like if you find an opening and you're comfortable with it, you roll with it because there's not a whole lot out there. Not enough beds. Not enough beds, not enough staff. Because it's not even necessarily about needing a, a placement in a facility. You know, we can staff individuals in their own apartment mm-hmm. in a community setting with staff coming into their apartment. Mm-hmm. But again, it falls back on having finding that staff to right. staff them. Right. So, and there's agencies in town that do a lot of that type yes. of care that, that'll go. Yep. I can think of a couple off the top of my head, but I won't mention them here. Uh, what is the most surprising thing that has happened to you while working with adults with disabilities? Remember, I previously spoke about um, DDPM onlys and how sometimes they can be a little bit more... time consuming Mm -hmm. than some of your other clients because you are that agency you're the provider Mm -hmm. well I had a um, guy who kind of was cycling in and out of jail Um, combination of I think you know there was no family for him here his family was out out east Um, he was homeless was um 
combined with pro- like obviously some intellectual disability which took a while for us to get testing to show that he had this intellectual disability so then um I was working with his public defender like hey there's a reason why this guy is cycling in and out of jail it's because he literally has no idea like he he is so trusting of other people so somebody will tell him here hold this backpack Mm. and take off and the backpack has a stolen laptop in it and then the cops show up yeah and they're like oh you stole this backpack let's go off to jail again Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, uh, he was calling me 20 times a day, probably. Oh, wow. Um, just, I need you to come do this. I need you to come help me with this. You didn't call me back in the last 10 minutes, so I'm calling again. Mm-hmm. As if I don't have 60 other people on my caseload. Yeah. Um, well, he had gotten arrested again. And I got a call from a bail bondsman stating that my husband was in jail and he needed me to bail him out of jail. Mm -hmm. And it was this client. (laughs) And he was clever enough Mm -hmm. to change his last name to the bail bondsman Mm -hmm. to my last name. (laughs) So (laughs) I said to the bail bondsman, my husband was at home this morning when I left for work. He's not in jail. Yeah. <laughs> this, no. <laughs> so that's probably, like, it's, you, the, the saying, like, you can't make this stuff up is yeah. absolutely descriptive of a DDPM role. Because yeah. that definitely, DDPM, DSP, what have you, that... Mm-hmm. That's that's some uh, ingenuity for sure from this person. Yeah. Um, if you had ten thousand dollars donated to improve where you work, and you were in charge of spending that money, how would you spend it? Probably creating some sort of place that was a crisis bed, because. Back when you and I were DSPs and and whatnot, there was um, individuals were able to go up to LSTC for like a couple days if they reached a certain level on the behavior plan. And it kind of got to the point where it was like they needed that little reset. um, And then they came back and they were great. Everything was fine. Or they were, you know, they wouldn't have a severe behavior like that for months. Um, And there's really, LSTC doesn't do that anymore because there's so many um, people that need that as a residential setting. And so that's what they're using those those services for. Um, So I think that a crisis bed of some sort would be um, beneficial just because sometimes people need that little reset of going and going somewhere where you don't like to be for a little bit and yeah. coming back and being able to kind of keep it together mm-hmm. for lack of a better term um, and sometimes we have clients who are receiving in-home support so they're at home with mom and dad still mm-hmm. and sometimes they just need a break you know yeah and it's it's kind of it kind of gets a little bit messy because that's kind of what they 
will tell us that in-home supports are for is to give those parents a break. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes that break that everybody needs, not just the parents, but also the child, mm-hmm. um, would be good to be like a over over the weekend type of thing or, yeah. you know, because they have that like um, pass past support family support too so like kids who are in foster care can will have like a respite home that they go to every other weekend or so um and i think that would be beneficial in our world as well yeah um which there is a little bit of overlap kind of for some of those path path parents or path kids but um i think a a crisis bed is 100 percent needed yeah. And that's where I would put that money. So I think that's a great answer. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, I know that there was times when um, I was working with people with um, dual di- diagnosis and their mental health would get to a point where really they needed a break. They needed a break from their regular staff. They needed a break from, you know, their guardian. They needed mm-hmm. a break from everything. Well, and, and even at that point, too, like, DSPs aren't always equipped to deal with that mental health no. piece so no i mean there is extensive training that has to go into like people working at a dual diagnosis site like mm-hmm. there was added training for the site that you and i both worked at mm-hmm. um but there needs to be more you need, you need to pick i think be picky with the types of direct support professionals that you put in a site like that absolutely um, because there's there's going to be more verbal aggression mm-hmm. Um, you're going to see some kind of crazy stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, cutting, you know, all sorts of bad stuff. What is the one thing that you advocate for the most? Um, that just because somebody has a intellectual disability does not mean that they can't understand or can't participate in therapy oh um so that's kind of been one of my biggest struggles that I or hurdles I guess I should say in my years as a DDPM is um you know mental mental health doesn't uh discriminate you know Mm -hmm, mental health happens to everyone whether you have an intellectual disability whether you have a developmental disability whether you have chemical dependency it doesn't matter like mental health exists and the often the response I'll get for when I make a referral is well they're not going to understand therapy Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to do therapy with them and in my mind I'm like that's interesting because we do therapy with children Right. You know, we may have a 23-year-old that has a cognitive functioning level of an 8-year-old, mm-hmm. and that's just where they're at, and that may just be where they're always. But there are ways that we can make therapy age-appropriate right. in the same manner that you do an 8-year-old. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of been my biggest struggle and biggest concern is, like, just because somebody has that does not mean that we can't meet them at their level. Right. And so knowing what I know now, had I known that in grad school, that would have been my niche. That would have been my area of focus. Mm-hmm. Um, would have been like, I don't know that I would have done any research because I'm not 
not a big research guru, guru so mm-hmm. but I would have you know that would have been my what can we do here you know why is this not focused on yeah um so that's my biggest and the thing is I feel like it's getting worse you know as we continue on here um the clients are only getting more difficult because that mental health piece is is there you know and it's everybody used to assume that people with um, intellectual and developmental disabilities were the cute cuddly people with down syndrome that Mm -hmm. have no behaviors well that's not the client anymore you know the clientele is autism with extreme behaviors and um it's it's shifting and so i think the providers and agencies need to understand that as well is you may have one of those quote-unquote easy clients mm-hmm. um but you're gonna get five more difficult ones yeah because it's shifting so right and have you run into that often where where you've been trying to get therapy services for someone and you're just basically turned down yeah there's um a few providers out there that um I know are accepting of them and so I try to encourage families to go to those ones first Um, but obviously families will seek out services on their own too and that's often a response that family will get so that's really sad yeah it sucks yeah because I mean I struggle with mental health stuff and I see a therapist and talk to my general practitioner about it as well so yep and my life has changed drastically for the better because of mental health services yep i yeah 100% agree so it's it sucks but i mean on the flip side of it too you don't want to put your client in a situation that's going to be um not beneficial to them mm-hmm. and then then have them be resistant to that that service in the future yeah so if they have a crappy experience with a therapist mm-hmm. they're probably not going to want to go back right um and so it's like i don't know it's difficult to to figure out what the priority is and what what you should be focusing on but at the same time you know that that individual needs help so yeah where are we going to find that so what a beautiful thing to advocate for I think that's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. That's it's awesome. frustrating to me. That's probably why I advocate for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's kind of where it's born. It's born out of frustration, whatever you advocate for. Mm-hmm. So I think that's great. Uh, why are you a DDPM and what keeps you in this line of work? I'm a DDPM because that's kind of what I... That's what my end goal was. That's what that's the job I wanted. So I got it, and I congratulations. Like I, thank you. Mm-hmm. I strove for it. I got it. Um, and what keeps me there is I literally love my job. Like I love, I love my clients. I love my coworkers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's to me. I made the realization a few years back that it's not all about money. Yeah. For me. Um, I have to love what I do in order to be happy in my job. Yeah. Um, I was working at, prior to being a DDPM. I was working 60 hours a week on call all the time during the week. I was 
upset snapping at my family when I came home at night because I was frustrated about things that were happening at work. Yeah. Um, things that were kind of out of my control. Mm-hmm. So um, I made the decision to seek out a DDPM. My husband actually was the one that found the, the job link and he mm-hmm. sent it to me. You could you qualify for this. I said, you just found my dream job. Yeah. Um, and... Um, I got it and it's just one of those things that it's like the grass isn't always greener you know mm-hmm. like we because of COVID we are now strictly working from home mm-hmm. they realize that we can do our jobs at home um, and I'm struggling with that because I don't see my co-workers every single day like I yeah. used to um, we bounce each other like bounce ideas off each other you know I have this scenario what am I missing what am I forgetting about like Mm -hmm. um and it's hard to be at home all the time with that yeah so that's probably the one thing that makes me not like my job anymore (laughs) is that I have to work at home all the time Mm -hmm. um but so that's awesome so you feel like your your life's work your your mission your purpose is the dd world yes yeah i would say so um and that's that's kind of something that my husband and i often go back and forth about is because he's in the it world which mm-hmm. you job hop in the it world to increase your salary yeah and so you keep making more money every time you get a new job and he's like well what if maybe you could do what I do and then you could make more money. And I have to continue to remind him that it's not about money for me. Like, yeah. and I probably work twice as hard as he does and he makes twice as much as I do. So yeah, well, let's hope he's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, it's just one of those things that it, and he'll often tell me it takes a special person to do what you do. And it mm-hmm. does, but at the same time, I think there's some people out there that that's it's just what they're meant to do. Yeah. You know. Yep. So. Totally. I uh, I oftentimes think that working as a DSP or doing something in that in that world is what I'm meant to do. Mm-hmm. And like I'm taking a break, working where I'm working now, but maybe I'll go back to it. I don't know. I had an opportunity to go back to it last month and chose not to. Mm. Um, I don't know. But this podcast is like a way for me to stay connected to that world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to have to be enough for now. Um, But I do see myself going back. I really do. Because... I don't think you can stay away. No, I don't think so either. (laughs) Like, I I know that I'm good at it. Uh You know? You are. Well, thank you. (laughs) Um, So maybe I will. And you're, you're good at it because you treat them like a human being. Right, you don't absolutely. treat them like it's your job, and no. they they often um, can tell oh, who yeah. is there for the job and who's there for the paycheck. changes have you seen in this industry since you've been a part of it um well the biggest and probably 
one that, I don't know, that changed a lot of how providers operated was the new payment system mm-hmm. that came into play in, I think it was 2018. Is that federal or just North Dakota? I think it was federal. And that's the waiver, non-waiver? No, that's the, you use a score to mm-hmm. um, determine how many hours of staffing an individual gets versus, I guess, prior to that, because I was on the DSP side prior, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of more of like a negotiation between provider and the state mm-hmm. um, on hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw a lot more like one-on-one or people with their own staffing back prior to 2018, whereas now you don't. Mm-hmm. And if you feel that they need more staffing than that, they um, uh, you have to apply for an outlier, okay. which um, outliers are pretty difficult to be approved. Um, and you have to have a fading plan for the outlier. So outlier is like an emergency. We need more staff. For a short period of time. Not even emergency. It's they're they're reviewed on a yearly basis. Mm-hmm. So um, I have one individual who qualifies for an outlier because he lives up north where there's not other individuals for him to share staff with. Oh okay. Um, and he's in a wheelchair, full cares. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's other people and I don't know how we would fade that one necessarily outside of like trying to have I mean obviously I'm gonna have more people doing day services up there shortly and I hope that I can find a provider to provide those services which to date has been difficult but um yeah the the outliers some people who have drop seizures all the time have been denied for an outlier. Really? Yeah. So, like, a seizure could happen at any point in time, and the state has said, no, um, you can pair that individual with somebody who needs less support, and they can share staffing hours that way. Mm. Um, so, I, I understand what they're trying to do in, in the fact of trying to get people to be more independent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the purpose of it is they felt that, and I think it came down from the feds, I don't think it was the state, mm-hmm. thought that we were overstaffing people. Mm-hmm. And I think to an extent we probably were. Mm-hmm. We weren't allowing, we weren't giving them that, that duty of risk. Yeah. Um, the opportunity to fail. Yep. I mean, because you and I fail all the time. Absolutely, every day. And... Um, we weren't giving people with disabilities that same opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's that's one way it's changed. Another way it's changed is so we, in the past, we would, you know, have people have behavior plans and then you do X, Y, Z and you earn $10. Yeah. Well, we can't use their own money that they've earned mm-hmm. as incentive because they've already earned it right you can't earn it two times good i support that and so it's you know trying to be creative in that too now of how else what else is going to be a motivator for that person yeah um which has kind of been difficult yeah because money pop and video games are kind of the (laughs) the top three motivators and 
they can't do the money, pop is not healthy, yeah. and uh, video games are not healthy either. Yeah. And expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, again, if you and I want to pop, yep. we can go get it. Right. Is it right for us, or is it healthy for us? No, yep. but we still have that the right to choose that. Absolutely, we do. Um, so it's it's I don't know. I get it, but at the same time, we don't want to put people with disabilities in a bubble just right. because they have a disability. Mm-hmm. So what I had done as for an incentive um, when I was a DSP was I had a person supported that loved Hot Wheels cars. And um, so he had a behavior program written where if he got a gold star every day for five days in a row, he can have a Hot Wheels car, which is like a dollar, (laughs) you know? And uh, we ran this program the first week and we showed him the box of Hot Wheels cars and he's like, I don't like any of these. Like he was very specific about the ones (laughs) he liked. So I just took it upon myself to run the program differently and I was like, hey, man, which one do you want? And he's like, I want a 1976 Dodge Charger. <laughs> and I was like, okay, killer. So I hopped on Amazon and bought that one. Uh-huh. And, like, the new program that I would run with him is like, all right, man, when we get to school every morning, because he still went to school, um, as long as we had a good day while I was here, I'm going to buy this on Amazon for you. Because yeah. it's a dollar. And I was working a 17-hour shift. So I'll spend $1 to have a good day. And that worked every single shift. We would start the 17-hour shift with which car do you want, and we would end by hitting buy when I dropped him off at school at the end of that 17 hours. It worked every single time. So I, the point of telling that story is I think that that's great, that there's don't make people re-earn their money that they already earned. Mm -hmm. Find a different way. There's always another way. There is. And it's just got to get creative and sometimes people don't like to get creative or we don't like change or this is how we've always done it uh yeah the worst sentence in this in field the life yeah oh god yeah. oh my this ears are burning <laughs> i hate that beautiful well jen smart thank you so much for coming and being on the podcast i really appreciate it you're welcome potterman <laughs> That's so silly. Uh, I appreciate your time, and uh, it was wonderful talking to you. I think you're a fantastic person. I know. I miss you. I miss you, too. (laughs) Well, I'll have you back on the podcast some other time in the future. Please do. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. What an interesting conversation we were able to have with Jen Smart. I think it's great to learn more about the state side of things and uh, kind of expand our knowledge base of how this industry really works. So thanks again to Jen Smart for being a part of today's podcast. If you want to get a hold of me, uh, best way to do that is probably the Facebook page, Direct Support Podcast on Facebook. Go ahead and follow and like the page. And if you care to, you can send me a message or post something um, on the page itself. That would be great. Um, if you want to send me an email, you can at show.dsp.podcast at gmail.com. I really got to get a smaller email. Ooh, 
I get winded every time I say that. Um, next week, we have a great episode with a DSP from New York uh, named Christina. That was a really awesome conversation. Um, I had that episode edited, and um, after re-listening to it, it sounds like the edit didn't work. So I will edit it again. <laughs> But uh, that'll be next week's episode. So until then, thank you so much for listening, you beautiful angels. And I will see you next Wednesday. All right. Bye-bye.